Welcome everyone to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio, where our guest is Nancy LeMasters from the Institute for Supply Management, who is going to talk to us today about the Hospital Purchasing Managers Index Report, a sector that's under considerable pressure from COVID. Nancy, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you, Tim, for having me. So how is the sector doing? I know they're struggling again. We're hoping that we're in a downturn of the incidences of COVID, but you tell us, how are they holding up? Well, September was a very, very tough month for the industry. I think, you know, we, we saw in the news with the, with the increases with the Delta variant, um, you know, at one point in June, we had about a seven day average of 1900 COVID admissions by September 14th. That number was 11,168, 488% increase between June and September. So the PMI was obviously in a growth mode, 60.6 in September, business activity 68, all very strong, but it was all COVID related. The electives were pressed out of the system again. Um, you saw the new order number go down to 61 from 65.5 because um, you know, the, the COVID cases were filling the hospitals. The backlog of orders really showed what was going on. It jumped from 64 to 72. So patients couldn't get in to get other non-COVID uh, services. So the hospitals were totally slammed across the country. Um, and, you know, to add insult to injury, the employment number went down again at 40, contracting, went down from 46 to 40. And I went back and looked, and with the exception of um, March and April 2020, when COVID was just hitting, and remember, we cleared the hospitals, but it, there was a little lag before the patients came. That's the only time that employment number has been as low as 40. So um, we saw in the comments from the panelists, you know, they're being obviously very weary, um, challenges in hiring both clinical staff and non-clinical staff, as we've seen in the manufacturing report, services report, everybody's hiring. So, um, you know, a lot of competition for labor at a time when all the beds are filled. So it's put huge stress on the, on the workers within the hospitals. And I'm seeing in the news that the healthcare workers are reticent, at least some of them reticent to get the vaccine and the hospitals are saying, no, you can't come to work unless you're vaccinated, even though back in 2020, they were grateful for any hospital worker who walked through the door. Uh, this is making it a very tough hiring environment. It is. It, it definitely is. Although, you know, I think that um, the last number I saw was most of the hospitals were running at about 99% of employees that did get vaccinated. It's still another stress. It still, you know, um, makes the recruiting hard. Um, it's so, but I think that they feel overall they need to do the right thing. And now that we have the vaccine, you know, having the staff vaccinated, having patients know they're cared for by vaccinated people, I think is a positive, but it definitely makes it more challenging. Um, in terms of the short-term hiring challenge. And then, you know, we have, go ahead, Tim. 
What is the hospital experiencing right now? Are they beginning to see this taper off or are they still in this very hot peak? No, I think we're starting to see things taper off. We've, we've seen that two month cycle with the COVID spikes and everything um, at a global level we're starting to see all of those numbers come back down. And, you know, I think that's a very good thing. Um, but I think that, you know, the news frequently says, okay, you know, it's behind us now. You know, it's kind of like, well, this is the fourth time we've heard that. So I think that there'll be some caution, um, uh, you know, surrounding will we see another spike as we come out of the holiday season? But um, we do know that the vaccination numbers are up. We think it will close to having approval for vaccination for children five to 12. And um, all of those things are moving in the right direction as well as many employers are putting in place vaccine mandates. And so, you know, I mean, all of those things are optimistic um, and, you know, we'll just hope that it does move that way, that the balance of patients being seen can kind of come back to uh, a more of an equilibrium. So those folks that are waiting to get what we call elective procedures, but you know, if you're in need of uh, a hip or knee replacement and in pain, it doesn't feel very elective. Um, so we're hoping right. that those will, will balance out as well as, well, you know, from the manufacturing uh, report, how challenged we are right now with supplier deliveries and the supply chain still being um, in turmoil. No doubt about that. Uh, so this uh, situation brings another bug to my head, and that is, where's the flu season? I mean, last year, about this time of the year, the flu season is supposed to begin, I guess. We're there again, but I'm not hearing anything, any discussion about flu cases. You know, I haven't heard much about them either. There's a big push for people to get vaccinated. Um, again, some worry that a year ago we were under a lot of shutdowns, mask mandates, et cetera, which, you know, actually helped prevent the spread of the flu. Now we've got kids back in school, you know, things are more open. Um, so we'll keep a close eye on it. It's, it's a little early, um, but by October, usually we're starting to see the flu circulate. So, you know, we will keep an eye out for that and hope that people do get vaccinated and that maybe we'll be fortunate and not have a severe flu season again on top of everything else. It would be good to uh, be able to get a break from that. Where, Nancy, are the bright spots in the hospital sector that they're looking forward to? You know, I, I think right now, um, if you looked at the numbers, um, it, it was just a tough month. The supply deliveries got significantly slower. They came in at 72, 3.5, 9.5% worse than the prior month. And I was actually talking with supply chain uh, professionals, and they were saying that, you know, some of the shortages aren't what you would have expected. We've talked about PPE, you know, forever now, but, you know, something as basic as crutches because of the aluminum shortage. They're having trouble getting crutches, getting um, a whole wide variety of um, supplies. And that's caused hospitals, just like other industries, to increase their inventories. So, you know, I think what we're looking forward to potentially is that if we can get the crush of COVID patients down, get the volumes evened out, 
um, that we're going to be able to manage both the staffing and the supplies, be able to use up some of that inventory we're having to build because of these long lead times and unavailability of equipment. But I'm not sure it's going to be any different than what we heard from manufacturing and services that it's going to be months, you know, before things really look better. Yes, clearly the, uh, the import number, and I don't know where your import number is at the moment, I'd be interested to hear it, is challenging because some of the PPE comes in from the Asia region. And we have, at least outside the port of Los Angeles, 60 plus ships bobbing around on the ocean waiting to get into port. And what complicates that is a uh, longshoreman shortage. They can't staff because they have workers who are uh, affected by COVID. We have a chassis problem. We don't have trucks to pull the, the containers out of the port. You put more in the port. Uh, you brought up last month that Malaysia has a problem staffing their ports to move goods out over to us. Is that still a serious issue, Nancy? It's a serious issue. I mean, we talked about Malaysia. Comments from the pa hospital panelists this month said they're starting to see some shortages of surgeon gloves. All of that comes out of Malaysia. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that all of the, you know, if, if anything, I think that the whole pandemic has really focused the world on is understanding we're an interchangeable, you know, intertwined, I mean, intertwined global supply chain. And hospitals are no different than any other industry or business out there. We rely a significant portion on foreignly, foreign produced goods. Um, although there has been some um, discussion and continued push to evaluate the critical supply chain within healthcare, pharmaceutical and device, to look at onshoring some of that PPE um, and some of those manufacturing of some of the drugs, or at least expanding what is here. Um, and I think that is one of the goals um, with the strategic national stockpile. One of the things that they're evaluating as they're re-looking at everything we've learned from COVID and how do we be better prepared in the future is a task force looking at the concept of domestic production. And I think that there will be some recommendations that hopefully will come out of that um, that will maybe lessen some of that dependence. It is tricky because a lot of the raw materials still come from overseas, even if the actual production is here, um, we, we still have to get the materials. But it's, it's a positive that they're looking at that and that we're realizing um, that we could be unnecessarily vulnerable because we've offshored so much. Yes, uh, you know, it's interesting to me because the federal government for decades had subsidized the dairy industry and even parts of agriculture to encourage either more or less corn production, more or less wheat production, more or less milk production. But I don't know that they subsidized the healthcare industry at all, have they? Not that I'm aware of. I mean, in terms of the production of uh, devices and, and drugs, I, not that I'm aware of. Um, I think that um, I recently uh, listened in on a, a webcast that was done by uh, 
two members from the National Strategic Stockpile, the logistics division of that, talking about what was going on with the, with them today and kind of what they're focused on. And it, it was very encouraging in that they everybody seems to realize that we have to do a much better job of collaboration and of private industry government collaboration. Um, that you know you can't just take drugs and devices and stick them in a warehouse and leave them there because you know they they expire we had uh you know uh, n95 masks that the elastic had wadded on you have to rotate that stock you have to have a plan to get it from that warehouse to the point to the hospitals and um i think it's encouraging that there are a lot of, of uh, collaborations being formed and the government really looking at how it can partner with distributors, with companies that are in the business of storing and distributing product, instead of trying to recreate it internally themselves, could they use the technology and the people that already know how to do this um, to make us better prepared going forward? So um, there really was a complete lack of what you and I would call basic supply chain knowledge amongst the people running these strategic national stockpiles. They were focused on what was in them, but they really didn't give much thought as to how, how do we physically get that product when it's needed from point A to point B? How do we rotate the stock? How do we manage expir expiration dates, et cetera, et cetera? Core fundamental supply chain 101. And I think now everybody realizes that this is a complex and sophisticated process. The stockpile was never designed for a global disaster. It was always designed more to react to a regional threat, be it you know a weather event or be it an isolated anthrax event or something like that. And now they're realizing that we have to really rethink how we operationalize this. And the good encouraging news I found was the fact that um, there appears to be several um, initiatives underway to take that seriously and figure out how to act on it, not just talk about it. Well, it sounds like the federal government needs to get in touch with the Institute for Supply Management and get some of their people certified yes. as managers. So as you say, they understand the very basics of that supply chain. Yes, absolutely. And it's not just the federal government. Um, you know, you had asked me to, to look into the national strategic stock, the strategic national stockpile. And one of the things that I learned is that it really operates through the states. And one of the things that caused so much challenge during COVID is that the individual states public health departments weren't very strong. They had underfunded them. And so while the flow of goods is supposed to go from the national stockpile to the state to then be distributed locally, a lot of the states didn't have any infrastructure to do that. So we've got work to do both on the federal level, but we also have work to do on the state level. And I think that's gonna be a takeaway that um, we need to continue to do drills and to look at emergency response, regardless of the cause, be it a pandemic or natural disaster, or you know, God forbid something worse. Um, everybody from 
you know, from the local level all the way up to the federal level needs to own their part in response and how they're going to do that. And hopefully this will really bring that to the forefront. And like you said, help educate people that it's, it's not just clinically uh, knowledge, clinical knowledge we need in the public health. We need the supply chain logistics knowledge coupled with that so that we can do an effective response. Well, that's interesting that you mentioned the expiration dates on PPE. I would not have imagined that PPE has an expiration date. You know, I figured I'd find uh, latex gloves in a, a dump pile someplace in the year 3035. It doesn't sound like this material, it sounds like this material is sensitive to aging. Right. I think anything taken to an extreme, right, can can lose its durability and it's finding the middle ground. I mean, I, yeah, I had to laugh too some of the times when I was um, running the supply chain and thinking, oh, those little bouffant caps for the OR, really those have an expiration date on them, come on. Um, but again, it's finding that middle ground, but elastic does wear out. You know, if, if it's not stored in the right temperature control, that's gonna be an issue. And of course it's an issue with drugs, we know that. So they've got to be rotated. So it, it's a matter of, I think, being aware we need to bring a wide variety of professionals together to figure out how to do this in a way that we don't waste resources. I mean, we certainly don't want to spend a lot of money on supplies that don't get consumed and get wasted. Um, so I think it's, it's really figuring out the right balance and then this collaboration between, you know, private companies and the government, I think is, is a very encouraging concept because you're really trying to bring together the knowledge of, of each, the expertise of a variety of people and capitalize on it. And I think that will get us further than trying to operate in a silo. Well, I would agree. I think somewhere in some government warehouse, there are probably tires for a 1942 Willys Jeep. <laughs> are probably not reliable at this moment in time. Nancy, as we go forward, uh, the hospitals look like if they're in a, a downswing of the COVID virus, and we hope and pray that that's where we are as a nation and as a world. Um, and I've experienced myself where friends were unable to get in for an elective procedure that once again, this pressure may back off a bit and the elective procedures pick up, which is what I understand from you, the hospitals make their money. Yes, I mean, it, it tends to be the fact that, you know, you need a variety of, of different cases. And we've talked about surgical elective procedures tending to be, not always, but tending to be uh, the better margin procedures and, and they need that balance. There was a study that just came out from uh, Kaufman Hall, which studies hospital finances. And they compared uh, January through July of 2019, before the COVID started, to January through July of 2021. And they looked at the expense per adjusted discharge, and that's a hospital way we, we measure volume. And it was up over 14%, the expense. In that same article, they projected that by the end of this year, one third of all the hospitals will have a negative operating margin. So um, we've got a lot of, of pressure, even though we have volume, it's not always volume that can be treated in a way that the hospital ends up with a positive margin. So um, 
as you said, the hope is that we will get that balance of patients back and the hospitals will be able to recover some financially um, from this. Um, but they're going to continue to have the pressures on labor costs and on supply costs. I mean, the pricing again in September continues to go up. And we saw that in the manufacturing and service reports as well. You know, just this ongoing price increase, this concern about inflation. So they've got a lot of headwinds, but, you know, everybody does. We just have to figure out the best way to work through them. All right. Well, as we wrap this up, let's talk just for a moment in another area of your expertise, which is the rural hospitals. Uh, they have significant challenges because they don't have the big hospital network or the big hospital resources or the big hospital profits. How are they holding up? You know, um, I think if you look at that one third of hospitals that potentially will have negative margins, if you could stratify the data behind that number, I would be willing to um, wager that a disproportionate share are rural. I think that, um, you know, there is some uh, specific funding from the government for rural hospitals to help offset some of the challenges that are unique to them. Um, and that can be helpful. And as we've talked about before, I think, you know, a lot of the rural hospitals are partnering either formally through um, mergers with larger systems or just informally um, with the bigger systems. Um, and, and we're really attempting to be able to help each other. And we saw that, you know, at the uh, onset in, you know, August, when we really started to see this initial July, August spike of COVID and it hit rural areas first. And we saw, you know, hospitals reaching out, lending ventilators, lending staff to the degree they could. Um, so I, you know, I, rural hospital problem preceded COVID and it will go on beyond it. And it's a matter that we have to recognize as a community, the value those small hospitals provide in these rural areas and we have to work together to try and keep them afloat. Well, we will certainly follow up with you, Nancy. I'm very interested in this uh, strategic health initiative to see if we can achieve some kind of balance for where things are that are needed. And it may go all the way down to uh, simple antibiotics through PPE and up to, as you said, uh, surgical equipment, uh, surgery, gloves. It's just astonishing to me how important this whole sector is. And it kind of was in the background. It was there. Uh, we all relied on it, but we didn't realize just how important it was going to be. Nancy, thanks for bringing this to our attention. Thank you so much, Jim, for having me. We'll talk again soon. Oh, I appreciate it. And I always look forward to these reports from Nancy LeMaster, who is with the Institute for Supply Management. She's the committee chair for the Hospital Purchasing Manager's Index Report, brings a wealth of knowledge to us, and we hope that you listen to these with as much interest as I do in, in hosting them and Nancy does in providing the content. Thanks again for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.